In this episode of Euketropolis, two great questions from level three of the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. We're going to get a little technical, but it's worth it as we explore the light and dark sides of harmony. Welcome back to the Yucatropolis podcast for more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions from students at yucatropolis.com. That's where you'll find a library of unique online ukulele courses, including Ready Steady Ukulele, Booster Uke, The Ukulele Way, the Jehui Teacher Certification Program, and more. I'm your host, James Hill. This week, we're focusing on level three of the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. And for those of you who are not teachers, stick with me here because there may be some gems that will help you in your general music understanding. The Jehui Teacher Certification Program has been around since 2010. That's when my dad and I actually started this thing together because we realized that it wasn't enough to have books. You needed a community of dedicated teachers to really understand the philosophy and the spirit and the scope of the methodology in order for it to be successful and to reach the students that um, can benefit from it. So we started the Jehui Teacher Certification Program, and it's been going now for over a decade. Jehui is J-H-U-I, which stands for the James Hill Ukulele Initiative. And we've certified over 500 teachers around the world. If you'd like to become a certified ukulele teacher, by all means, check out yuketropolis.com slash J-H-U-I for the program overview and a free sample lecture. So the questions and comments we're looking at in this episode come from level three of that program. And in level three of that program, teachers are exploring book three of the ukulele in the classroom methodology. This is a series of books that I wrote with my mentor, Jay Chalmers Doan, who is the godfather of Canadian ukulele. We wrote this series of books together, Ukulele in the Classroom. It is now a free series of ebooks that you can download absolutely free from yuketropolis.com slash classroom. Now, some of the defining features of level three of this program or book three of the Ukulele in the Classroom series are that, number one, students are exploring now minor keys and minor chords. They've maybe played some minor chords before, but now we're really taking a deep dive into minor key concepts, which, as we'll see, are more nuanced than major key concepts. And that's why we keep them until this stage of the game. They're also looking at transposition, um, tremolo, first steps toward more advanced harmony, like jazz harmony, and as always, music from all over the world, alongside uh, popular song and classical music selections. So there's a lot to cover, which is why the Jehui Teacher Certification Program takes five months for each level. 
So our first question, which is more of a comment that leads to questions, is from Avon. And she says um, on the lesson, Dear Someone, she says, for the very first time, I can feel and see and hear the congruence of lining up the melody chords and the lyrics. Thank you for this lesson. It has had a huge impact. Now, what exactly is she meaning here? She can feel and see and hear the melody chords and lyrics lining up to deliver a unified message. In this lesson, students are learning a song called Dear Someone. It's a song that I wrote because I wanted teachers to have a lyrical piece that wasn't too fast so that you could really sink into the harmonies and hear the meaning behind the harmonies. I also wanted to have a song that could be altered and tailor-made to suit a student's life and experiences uh, so that we can have a creative, open-ended approach and involve the student in lyric writing, which I always find is um, fun and interesting, even if it might be challenging. So I wanted to tick all these boxes in one lesson. I couldn't find a song that did all of that, so I wrote one, and it's called Dear Someone. I'm going to play you the first verse of the tune now, and then we'll come back to Avon's comment and uh, go a little deeper into um, what she means by it. So here is Dear Someone. Dear someone, I am writing just to say Something that I wanted you to know But every time I try to speak the words they slip away So I'm writing them instead upon this page If you're reading this then I have told you all I have to tell Dear someone Dear someone I wish So that gives you an idea of the tone and the sound world, I suppose, that I'm going for with this song, Dear Someone. It's uh, it's a ballad, and for me it's meaningful because I know what I was meaning when I was writing this. I know the someone that I was writing this song for. Now, I'm not going to tell you who that was because hmm, it's uh, none of your business, (laughs) to be honest. And the fun of this song is that you get to think of that someone for yourself. You get to imagine who you're singing this for. Dear someone, I'm writing just to say something that I wanted you to know. I think we all have someone in our lives to whom we can sing this song. And this song is in some ways a vehicle for student expression and emotional, it can act as sort of an emotional conduit, 
I think, for for students. Um, there's a reason why I didn't include this in book one of the method, when students are just getting their minds and their hands around the basics. That's not the time to be uh, delving deep into your uh, your emotional um, history. <laughs> but now that students have some facility with the instrument, now we can dig deeper and use music to to um, bring those feelings out, and which is you know something that uh, we've been doing through music since the beginning of music. I also find that when students are creatively engaged in a piece, um, that they take more ownership, they sing with more confidence and uh, soul. And so this is also an open-ended exercise to say, okay, maybe in the second verse now we could get more specific and you could you could actually put a, uh, a name to that person or you could include more details about what it is that you're wanting to say to that person. So my example is always um, something like, dear, dear Teddy, I've there's something that I wanted to say to you. Uh, you know, you're the best Teddy in the whole wide world. And this is a very innocuous example, but it gives you an idea of how you can expand on and create an open-ended exercise from a tune like this. Dear Teddy, I am writing just to say that kind of thing, you know. You're the best bear in the whole wide world. (laughs) I mean, you can just have some fun with it and see where it takes you musically and emotionally. But getting back to Avon's comment, she sees and feels and hears the congruence in the melody, chords, and lyrics. What exactly is she talking about? She's talking about the fact that Certain chords, um, in particular minor chords, line up with certain key words in the lyric. Um, Let's have a look at um, this line. But every time I try to speak the words, they slip away. Now there you have minor chords coming into the mix after just having major chords for uh, for the first phrase. And what these minor chords do is what minor chords almost always do is that they bring the shadow into the picture. If major chords are the light, then minor chords are the shadow. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't mean that they're the dark side and we should you know, try to eradicate darkness from our lives. I'm, that's not the kind of shadow I'm talking about. I'm just talking about, you know, if you're a painter and you're going to create a lifelike painting, you do need to have command of the light and the dark. We can't have a believable picture without shadow and light. And the very same thing is true for music. We can't really have a believable Um, narrative about uh, longing to write a letter to someone unless we incorporate the the light and the dark aspects of those feelings. And specifically, we want to land on some of those key moments of shadow at the appropriate time. So let me play you that line as an example. 
And I'm going to replace the minor chords with their major counterparts, their relative majors. And what we're going to see is that, um, that the shadows disappear. And it would sound like this. But every time I try to speak, the words, they slip away. Do you hear that? How it makes you feel like the words and the music are mismatched. On one hand, you're pouring out your heart and you're saying, this is a problem for me, that the words are slipping away. And on the other hand, the music is just sort of sunshiny and, uh, you know, carefree. That's a mismatch. But if I put the A minor in there, which is the relative minor of, of C major, almost all of the same notes, with the exception of one, then I get a very different feeling. The words, they slip away, which is more representative of the, the emotion of that moment, especially because it's slipping away where I would normally have a resolution to a major chord, it slips away and becomes a minor chord. That's exactly the feeling in the lyric reflected in the chords and the chord progression. So there's much more to this and uh, you know we don't have the time right now to completely uh, revisit this entire lesson. But the takeaway from this is that in those songs that really move us, where we no longer sort of pay attention to the melody and the chords and the rhythm and the lyrics individually, where the whole thing just becomes one experience and we forget ourselves and we forget our criticisms. Whenever that happens and we're whisked away on a magic carpet of music and, and, and lyrics, it's often because the message of the lyric and the message of the chords are aligned. And that's what we see here in Dear Someone. And I hope you'll keep your ears open for that now as you listen to the music you love. Where do those moments of synergy happen where the message of the lyrics is also the message of the chords? Our next question comes to us from Javier, who's learning to teach the traditional Bulgarian piece Elenki. And he asks, why is the five chord in a minor key a dominant seven? In other words, why is the fifth of G minor a D7 and not just a D minor? For context, here's the melody he's talking about.
it goes on, but that gives you the flavor of it. So this is a great question. Sometimes in a minor key, when it comes to the five chord, sometimes we have this minor five, like we do in this piece. And sometimes in a minor key, we have a dominant seven chord for the five, like this. Now that's a very different sound, as opposed to which sounds darker or more mysterious somehow. But just for a moment, let's switch gears. Let's switch to the key of A minor. Why am I switching to A minor? Because A minor has no sharps and flats, and it's easy to talk about. A minor scale is just A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A. Simple, it's as simple as counting through the alphabet. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Now, the only issue with this is that there are different types of minor scale. What I just played for you, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, is what we call the natural minor. The natural minor has the same collection of notes as another scale that we're very familiar with, and that is C major. C major has no sharps or flats. It's all the white keys on the piano. Well, A minor has those same notes. We just start and end on A instead of starting and ending on C. And all of a sudden, it gives us a different feeling. We've started and ended on a different spot. So that gives us A natural minor. And A natural minor is great. The only issue is that the five chord, the dominant chord, will be a minor chord. We've got A, the dominant chord, the chord built on the fifth degree of the scale, will be E minor, like this. And in context of a small chord progression, it might sound something like this. Not bad, but composers over time and musicians have often wanted a way to get that dominant seven sound in minor keys as well as in major keys this sound. Here it is again. That sound is quite different from this sound. Well, at least it's quite different <laughs> when you really start to um, listen you know, inside the chord, only one note changes. G becomes G sharp. That's it. Only one note changes to get E minor to become E7. 
And so maybe I like that sound more. But what does that do to the scale? Well, instead of having a natural minor, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, now I have a different scale, which goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G sharp, A. And this is how the harmonic minor scale was born. And the reason we do that, and the reason it sounds the way it does, is so that we can get certain chords to come out of that scale. It's a harmonic priority. We're doing this for the chords, and that's why it has the name harmonic minor. So far, we've seen the natural minor scale. We've also looked at the harmonic minor scale. But there's also the melodic minor scale that kind of smooths out that awkward gap that you hear in the harmonic minor scale. And this melodic minor, because it smooths out the melody, because it makes me melody the priority, we, not surprisingly, call it the melodic minor scale. There are still more minor scales that are used predominantly in the uh, realm of jazz. And to be entirely honest, I don't fully understand those minor scales. The point I'm trying to make here is that minor scales and as a offshoot, the minor chords and chord progressions that exist around those scales, these are just more volatile concepts. They are less stable than the major and pentatonic scales that we teach in, say, level one of ukulele in the classroom. There is a good reason why we save this until level three of the method. Javier, I hope that helps you to better understand why in a minor key sometimes the five chord is a dominant seven and other times it's a minor triad. Because you know one thing for a fact, and that is at some point, one of your students is going to raise their hand and ask this very question. And you want to be ready. You want to be sure that when they raise their hand to ask this very question, when they are signaling to you, clear as day, that they're ready to have this discussion, you want to be sure that you're ready to have this discussion too. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Euketropolis podcast. I'll be back next week with more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions from students at euketropolis.com. In the meantime, check out euketropolis.com, our $1 beginner course, Ready Steady Ukulele, other courses like Booster Uke, The Ukulele Way, Ukulele X for extreme ukulele players, and of course, the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. My name is James Hill. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, keep on strumming.